Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. For those of you who uh, have not figured it out, it is Scottish Sunday. Um, and no, I'm not wearing a kilt. Um, I, 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 I've lost some weight this last year, and the kilt that I own doesn't fit anymore. Um, but, uh, hua. But, but the reality is, um, a Scottish pastor would be wearing a Geneva gown and tabs. And for those of you who aren't familiar with tabs are, they represent the Old and New Testaments. Each tab represents the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So this is what actually the preachers would actually wear. Making choices. Making choices. You and I um, are faced with making choices from the moment we open our eyes in the morning. Um, Do I stay in bed or do I get up and go to work? What shall I have for breakfast? What shall I even eat breakfast? What am I going to wear today? Who am I going to root for in the Super Bowl? Does anybody really care? Now, we did this at the first service, so I, I figure I better let you get it out of your system too. Raise your hand if you're an eagle, if you're rooting for the Eagles. Okay, raise your hand if you're rooting for the Chiefs. Wow. Well, the first thing that you need to know is y'all take directions better than the first service. Because I said raise hands and they were screaming both sides. So you are already the more superior congregation. Um, But those are benign choices that we make. Those are benign things that we decide upon. But there are those decisions and choices we have to make sometimes that are much more pointed. Do I fudge the numbers so the boss thinks things aren't as bad as they really are? Do I quit my job? Should I report to the authorities that my company is exploiting non-documented workers? Do I turn a blind eye when I witness disparity and discrimination in the workplace? Our Hebrew text this morning that we heard is from Deuteronomy 30. It records the words of God addressed to Moses and the Hebrew wandering masses before they cross the river. And and God says, choose life so that you may live and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice. Hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life. For the Lord is your life. It's about making choices. God wanted to make sure that before the wandering Hebrews crossed the Jordan River to claim the land of promise, they would keep their focus on what was important. All they had to do as they crossed the river, go to the other side, and settle the land was to remember that the Lord was their life. The Lord was their life. 
And every choice, every decision that they made thereafter, if the Lord was their life, then they would be choosing life. And sadly, though, we know how the story all turned out, don't we? Our preaching text today offers a similar call to the people of God. The indefatigable Apostle Paul is trying to convey this same important message about the power of the crucified Christ and the life-saving power of the Holy Spirit. But the people of the church are not choosing life. They are choosing sides. For the second time in 46 verses at the opening of his letter to the Corinthians, Paul is calling out the church for making poor choices and for losing sight of who is the source of their life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes, One of you says, I follow Paul. Another one of you says, I follow Apollos. Another one of you says, I follow Cephas. And still another says, I follow Christ. What do we do? Why are we making these choices? Let's see what Paul says in today's scripture. He picks back up today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-9, through 9, I am going to read uh, from a different version than normal. I'm reading from the New International Version because I think it kind of simplistically lays it out pretty clear. Listen to the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Infants, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like a mere, mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, well, aren't you just being human of the world? What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants, literally slaves, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we, Paul and Apollos, are God's fellow workers. You, church, are God's field. You are God's building. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. In case you missed it, 
The last verse that I just read is the key verse which unlocks this passage's point. We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now, you see, the Corinthians were all wrapped up around church leadership and programming. And Paul is telling them, you're missing the point. It's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's all about God working in and through you, members of the church. What are you doing in the field of service? What are you doing in the building of the church? You see, Paul and Apollos were mere agents. They were catalysts in helping the the people in the pews get working in God's fields and in God's house. The word Paul uses for co-worker is the same word we get our modern word, synergy. Co-workers create synergy. That is, mutually beneficial movement, change that change and create opportunities for more growth. In a synergistic relationship, one person is not more important than the other. They complement each other. One is strengthened by the other. The gift of the other and the gift of this one are for the sole purpose of spurring on the growth of the ministry in the field in the house of God among you, the members. Paul and Apollos, they had this thing. Paul literally killed somebody preaching. He did. He, he was preaching one night, and he preached on and on and on, and poor Eutychus was in a window listening, and he fell asleep because Paul was droning. And he fell two floors and died. Yeah. Apollos was a good preacher. Paul, not so much. They had different gifts. But they both complemented one another in a synergistic way. Over the years in ministry, and I've talked to other ministers, we had several at the first service, and some you, you folks who are preacher's kids, I'm sure you've been privy to these parking lot conversations as well, where whispers are made by the members of the church. You know, I don't like that pastor. He's hard to understand. I've heard, you know, I don't come to worship if she's preaching. I don't like her style. I have heard in the parking lots, in the hallways, you know, that pastor is divorced. I've heard in the hallways and in the parking lots, you know, he shouldn't be a minister because he's got a beard, he's got a tattoo, and he rides a motorcycle. And I've heard that one about me. (laughs) When I hear things like this, beloved, when I hear this, I look heavenward, and the tears of God wash over my face, frankly. Because comments like these are comments 
that are a lesson in missing the point. Patrick plants. Pam fertilizes. Nick waters. But it is God who is producing the growth and the recalcitrant soil and is transforming barren space into vibrant, fruitful fields and household communities of faith. The focus is not on Paul. It's not on Peter or Apollos, Nick, Pam, or Patrick. It is on the Lord Jesus Christ who is, as Moses said, our life. When the focus is taken away from the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, when, when the focus is taken off the Christ and is placed upon a leader or a team or a session or trustees, whatever you want, the field we call First Presbyterian Church grows weeds. When it is taken, our eyes are taken off Jesus, the house we call First Presbyterian Church becomes inhabitable. Uninhabitable. First Corinthians 3 talks about our choices as a community of faith, beloved, and the way the community conducts itself. Paul is reminding the church of God that we operate on a vastly different way in a completely different way than the world out there, as he calls it in Scripture. The world operates. We operate under our own different set of values than the world operates. You would only think people could see that more clearly. The Spirit of God does things differently from the Spirit of flesh. And the challenges of churches today in their attempts to thwart um, decline, in attempts to get people back, the church today is overlaying the world's way of conducting and doing business, the way the world expresses its values its behaviors, onto the way we as the church conduct the way we are doing business. Instead of the church being the model that overlays to the culture, this is how you do it, the culture is doing that to the church instead. And you know what? Church is on the ropes. The world tells us to live with an attitude of scarcity so we better hoard up everything we can. We better hoard. All for me. Whereas the church encourages us to live lightly and have confidence in God's provision and abundance. The church reminds us, brothers and sisters, all that we have is not ours. It's on loan. Hold it loose. The world says the best leaders are outgoing, good-looking, extroverted, tall, smooth talkers, charismatic, whereas the church insists that leaders are to be unique and use the individual gifts God provides each of them to use to create synergistic energy 
among those involved. Between Paul and Peter, Apollos, Nick, Pam, and Patrick. The world says it's the survival of the fittest is what matters. And as such, since survival of the fittest matters, we're going to set up sides of, and manufacture layers of hierarchy about who's better. My side, my point of view, my theological point is stronger and better and more clearly purposeful to Jesus than yours is. And as such, I'm going to set up this hierarchy. I'm going to set up this, this bifurcation between you and me. We're going to take sides. I'm right. You're wrong. And hubris gets in the way. We get so wrapped in what I think. Hubris. Pride gets in the way. Whereas the church, a church, as we choose life, as we make the Lord our focus, it lives and operates out of humility on a level playing field where love and egalitarianism is the key. The world says that we can choose what to eat on the all-you-can-eat spiritual buffet that makes us feel good. Whereas the church says we are not to overload and fill up on the feel-good spiritual carbohydrates of the day and instead eat a healthy, protein-enriched faith of not occasional worship, not occasional study, not occasional service, but intentional worship, intentional study, intentional service. Professor James K.A. Smith writes, quote, the church, the body of Christ is the place where God invites us to renew our loves, reorient our desires, and retrain our appetites. I love that. The Lord is our life. Isn't it reasonable that the choices we make and how we make them reflect that reality? Shouldn't the way we do things in church, the way we act in church, the way we live in church be a dramatic contrast to the way people out there do it? Friends, you, your pastors and your church leaders at First Presbyterian are trying to live that reality out. And by goodness, we are. Makes me proud. We are a very diverse congregation, a body whose leadership is very, very diverse. And you know what? We don't always agree all the time. Newsflash. But this we are committed to. We may not agree all the time, but we are committed to working synergistically with our per particular gifts and graces to create an environment where the Spirit of God can move in and out from us and send us out there to the larger community in helping others participate in the Lord of life. If the church of Jesus Christ, if the church of Jesus Christ, if Christians cannot figure it out on how to live and relate with other Christians regarding religious, 
political and cultural inclusiveness, brothers and sisters, then the world is in a heap load of trouble. If we can't get it, they can't get it. Beloved, it doesn't matter if you're for the Chiefs or the Eagles. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. It doesn't matter if you're white, Hispanic, Asian, or black. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. It does matter, though, that when we become, when any of us become a follower of Jesus Christ, we put away those things of the world and put on a new identity in Jesus. And we live that way. And we show the world that identity. Today, this dear brother made a choice and was baptized into a new identity. He immigrated from being a man of and in the world to becoming a man in and of the kingdom of God among brothers and sisters who love him. He has, as one scholar said, quote, given a heavenly passport. He's been given a heavenly passport. Each of us has. In his body, the church, we learn what it means to live like locals in the kingdom of heaven. Such an immigration to a new kingdom isn't just a matter of being teleported to a different place, a different realm. It means that we are acclimated to a new way of life. We learn a new language, acquire new habits, and we unlearn habits of that rival dominion of the world. Christian worship, he says, is our enculturation as citizens of heaven, subjects of the kingdom to come. And so, beloved, that requires each of us to make choices. As each of us leave today, it is my humble prayer that the Holy Spirit will haunt every single one of us today and help us reflect on how we make our choices in life as individuals and as a church. You see, do we make our choices on a life that's based and grounded in Jesus and as members of his beloved church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ? Or do we make our decisions and choices based on the world? May the Holy Spirit reveal to us the answer to that question. And all of God's people said, pray with me. Holy Spirit, Come this day, rattle us, get into our bones, convict us. Help us, O oh Lord, to evaluate how we make our choices. Help us as a church, O oh Lord, to tend to the fields and to our building, the building we call First Presbyterian Church. Enable us to work synergistically as we go out raising hell in Broward County and making a difference in the world. 
We ask this in Jesus' precious name.